Well, good morning. We're glad that y'all are here and uh, hope you enjoy the summer. Hope it's a little bit more laid back, at least for you, than the fall and spring. And uh, we are glad to have you here. I want to just reiterate, I know some of you came in after the announcements time, so I want to reiterate one announcement, and that is we would love to have you join us on Thursday nights for our uh, growth group Bible studies this summer. We'll be studying the miracles of Christ uh, in the book of Mark, and uh, those meet at 6.30 every Thursday night starting this week, and those will meet in the building across the street. So uh, you can either fill out one of the green forms this morning and drop it in the box, or you can just show up on Thursday night and we'll put you into a group. Uh, but we would love to have you there. Kind of like Mark mentioned earlier, as you can tell, the summer is usually a bit of a smaller crowd, uh, both here and at small groups, which is, is good in the sense that you will be able to really get to know some people well, we hope, throughout the course of the summer. Um, especially if you're new to our college ministry, uh, I'd encourage you that's the best way to jump in and really participate with us is by getting into one of those groups. So um, before we begin, I'm going to read from James chapter 5. We'll be all over the place this morning, but uh, I'm going to read from James chapter 5, starting in verse 16. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, And the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this time we have together. As we come before you and as we tackle a subject that is difficult for many of us because we struggle with knowing how to pray, we struggle with understanding why we ought to pray. As we tackle this subject, I just pray that you, through your spirit, would give us wisdom. Father, we want to know you in a deeper way. We want to understand your word, and we want to be able to walk with you as you have called us, to obey you, to tell others of the great grace of our God through Jesus Christ, and to reflect and imitate the character of Jesus Christ. We want to do that, Father, and so we pray that you would empower us to do that. I pray as we look at your word this morning, you would give us wisdom and understanding and motivate us and empower us through your spirit to obey. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I had a professor in seminary. His name was uh, John Hanna, one of my favorite profs, and uh, Throughout his class, uh, I learned just a great deal. He was a church history professor, and uh, he was one of these guys that uh, it seemed like every other sentence that came out of his mouth was just some wonderful nugget of wisdom, uh, just these great pearls of advice and understanding and depth. And uh, so we would often, all of us in the class would try to take notes, try to remember what it was that he said. And there was one guy in particular in the class who was always typing on his laptop. This was back before some of us didn't have laptops. Some of us were writing things down. But all the way through the class, you could hear this guy tap, 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 you know, on his laptop, including when the professor prayed. And uh, I thought it was odd, actually, the first few weeks of the class because everybody would get quiet and this prof would pray these just, uh, for lack of a better word, these magnificent, deep prayers. He would open and he would praise God for his character. And then he would uh, praise God for Jesus Christ in, in language that 
was just stunning to me. And it, it indicated this intimacy and this depth of relationship with God that I thought, man, if I could pray like that, I would feel like I knew God. And uh, yet this guy would type through the prayers. And so I was trying to listen and, and you know, hearing this tip, tap, tip, tap. And so finally, one day uh, after class, I asked this guy, I said, why are you typing through Dr. Hannah's prayers? And he said, oh, I'm actually, I'm typing his prayers. I'm transcribing them because they are impacting me with such depth that I want to keep them. And, and what was interesting was this past week, I went online and I looked and there were actually a couple of people on websites that had actually posted transcriptions of Dr. Hannah's prayers because they wanted to remember them. And as I thought about that, I thought, man, what a testimony of a man of God who prays in such a way that I, I, people want to remember what he says. And he doesn't ever write them out. They're spontaneous and they flow from a heart that is close to God. And I thought, wow, I have a long way to go. Uh, hopefully I'm a little bit beyond rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, uh, and those sort of things, maybe, right? But I've got a long way to go, I feel like, before I pray with that kind of depth and that kind of intimacy with God. And maybe you feel the same way. Prayer is one of those things, I think, that we all know that we ought to do. And uh, there are probably some of you in here that you could give this message. You could talk about prayer with passion and energy and joy. And yet the reality is many of us, if we really look at our lives and we really evaluate it, we find that we don't pray. We know that we ought to. We, we on one level believe that we should. And as we read the scripture, we read passages like James 5 and we go, okay, the prayer of a righteous man is effective accomplishes much. And yet uh, our own prayer life, if we're honest, is often anemic and weak. And so we come before God in prayer and we try to pray and we get distracted or we wrestle with, is God really listening to me? We get tired, we fall asleep and we struggle with it. It's, it's kind of, for me, it's like eating green beans. Like I, I know that green beans are good for me. Uh, if I did a little research, I could give a little talk on why green beans are good for me. Bottom line is I don't eat them uh, because there are many other things I would rather eat, like sand or gravel or you know a lot of things like that. Uh, I don't like them. Now, the reality is that uh, when I really feel like I'm praying uh, and connecting with God, I, I like it, I enjoy it, but often that feeling is elusive. And so sometimes, uh, just like you, I come before God in prayer and it feels like my prayers hit the ceiling, like I'm not connecting. Sometimes I pray and it feels like I am and yet I don't get answers like I would like. Sometimes I'm just lazy or I'm distracted or I'm tired and I think we all can relate to that. And so I think on one level, all of us ask that question, why bother with it? Why bother with something that seems so hard and often seems to produce so few results? Why should I do it? So what I want to look at this morning, we're going to start, there's going to be two weeks. The next two weeks, we're going to focus on this topic of prayer. As Ricky mentioned last week, we're going to talk about spiritual disciplines throughout the summer. And spiritual disciplines is just a fancy way of saying that those practices and habits that we engage in so that we can know God better and so we can serve God. So we'll talk about prayer. We'll talk about giving. We'll talk about service. We'll talk about studying the Bible. Uh, we're going to start with this issue of prayer and we're going to talk about it for two weeks, partly because I think it's such a critical issue in our spiritual life and one that most of us, honestly, if we're really honest, most of us are not great at. 
And uh, today I really just want to go into the question of why should we do it? Why should we pray? Next week we'll talk about the how a little bit. What do we pray for? Uh, When should we pray? How do we pray? All those kinds of questions. But today, simply I want to deal with what are some of the challenges we face as we try to pray and then why should we do it? And then give you hopefully one good application before we close. But as I start, I just want to ask the question, uh, why is prayer so tough? All right, why is it such a difficult thing? Why is prayer so tough? Uh, there's a few reasons. All right, one of them, I think, for many of us is this. We, we don't believe that it matters a lot of times. And the reason I say that is, you know, we, like I said, we pray. seems like God, he doesn't answer. There are some things we pray for, maybe he does. And then there's other things we pray for, maybe he doesn't. Maybe you have friends that uh, they're experiencing great hurt in their life. And they pray that God would ease that pain. Maybe you've had friends that uh, have prayed for healing and haven't seen God answer like they would like. Maybe you've had in your own life things you've prayed for and, and God doesn't seem to answer. Maybe it seems like sometimes we're praying and like I say, our prayers hit the ceiling like we're talking to nobody. Like it's an exercise in futility. I don't know if any of you have, most of you have probably had the experience of talking to somebody and you think that they are listening, but they're not, right? Maybe you're on your cell phone and you're talking to somebody and the call gets dropped and you are unaware that the call has been dropped. And so you're going, and then I went to the grocery store and I'm telling you all my deepest feelings and blah, blah, blah. And you go on and on. And then you go, hello, hello, right? And you've been talking and nobody's there. Uh, Sometimes early in our marriage, uh, that happened with my wife and me. I would talk as it was time for bed and didn't realize that my wife, pretty much as soon as she lies down, she falls asleep within seconds. And so, uh, but when I lie down, it's, this is my time to talk and, and share what's going on and how I'm feeling. And uh, so, you know, sometimes I just, I, I launch into everything I'm feeling and just, you know, tears and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And uh, she's asleep. She's gone, you know? So, so I'm talking, but nobody is hearing it. And maybe that's sometimes how you feel when you're praying. Uh, your prayers are, they're bouncing off the ceiling. What's interesting is even one of the greatest men of God throughout history, the Apostle Paul, he actually felt that way or faced that. Uh, One of the most famous passages about prayer uh, that some of us find at times to be a comfort, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 9, Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, what is Paul saying? He prayed three times. He pleaded with God to take this thing away and God said, no. And we don't know what this thorn in the flesh is, some kind of probably physical ailment. We don't know what it is, but Paul asked God, take it away. God says, no, God, take it away. No, take it away. God, no. And he doesn't get an answer to his prayer. Even Jesus, the night before he's about to die on the cross, he prays, God, if possible, let this cup pass from me. He says, not what I will, but you will. And he goes to the cross. Everybody experiences unanswered prayer, prayer that is not answered the way we would like. And I think for some of us over time, that can become a reason why we don't pray because maybe we think it doesn't matter. Now we'll talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes. I think another reason often we don't pray is uh, because we're easily distracted, right? And this is the case for me. Like I say, we prefer to do other things or our lives are just filled with noise 
They're filled with activity. And, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but it seems like as soon as you sit down to pray, a thousand other things pop into your head. You remember that you need to change a light bulb. You remember that there's something you need to fix in the house. You remember that there's somebody that you need to call. You wonder uh, what else that actor that you saw in that show was in. And so you're getting onto Wikipedia. You know, everything else comes into your mind as soon as you start to pray and your mind begins to fire with all these other thoughts. And I think often it's because we're not used to disciplining our minds to be still and to focus for a long period of time. Because you and I, we wake up in the morning and uh, we are just surrounded with gadgets and technology and all kinds of things that produce mental and even uh, audible noise in our lives. And so we have a hard time pulling away from that to focus and get away from the distractions. Uh, It reminds me uh, of uh, every week, there's a couple of friends that I meet with and we pray and we meet in this one guy's office and his office happens to be in a highly trafficked area of a, of a little sh- shopping center. And uh, it seems like every week, as soon as we sit down to talk, uh, somebody will walk by outside his window on the phone. He's blah, 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 you know, and we're trying to share things with each other and pray. And there's all this noise. One day there was a shop next door that turned on just this crazy loud music right as we began to talk, um, or they begin using a jackhammer or something like that, doing construction every time. And sometimes it can feel like that when you begin to pray. As soon as you sit down, there are distractions. Phone rings. Uh, For me, I have kids. Sit down to pray. Invariably, it's like a magnet for the kids. I think some of that is, uh, is, frankly, the enemy trying to distract us. But I think some of it is also we haven't yet developed discipline, and so we're easily distracted. And so you try, and you go, this is just hard work. Prayer is hard because I'm not used to focusing. So we get easily distracted. And then I think the third reason it's really tough is because we come before God and we feel guilty. We either feel guilty because of some sin that we have committed or we feel guilty because we haven't prayed in a long time. And so instead of pushing past it, we allow the guilt to overwhelm us and we don't pray. And there's uh, true legitimate guilt because of a sin. And then there's also false guilt. Uh, And there are times that... uh, Saturday night, before I've gone to bed, and I've got to preach on Sunday morning, my wife and I have had uh, discussions. I won't say we have arguments, but they are uh, discussions where we may have a different point of view, and the discussions uh, can get intense, and then we go to bed, and I wake up the next morning, and I come to the office, and I begin to pray that God will uh, bless my preparation and my talk, and yet I realize there's this unreconciled relationship between my wife and me, and so I have a hard time praying. And then I look at a passage like 1 Peter chapter 3. that says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So it says, if I have this unreconciled relationship with my wife, my prayers will actually be hindered. And I go, okay, this is the problem. I have to fix this issue first. And then I come before God in prayer. And sometimes there's a legitimate sin that may be keeping us from knowing God, and we have to deal with that first. But then I think sometimes we just have guilt. I would guess if I were to poll you, probably at least a third to a half of you on a daily, moment-by-moment basis, you just feel guilty, and you don't know why. You just have this general sense of guilt, and so you come before God, and you just feel like, I'm not good enough to be before God. And on one level, that's a healthy feeling, unless it keeps us from approaching God. So I think there's all of these challenges that keep us from prayer. 
All right, but then as you look at the scripture, it seems like prayer is something we ought to engage in. It seems like something that is effective, something that is critical, not only to our spiritual life, but to the health of the body of Christ. And so although prayer is tough, the scripture gives us numerous reasons why we ought to do it. All right, why should we do it? First of all, Jesus believed in prayer. Jesus believed in prayer. When I look at the scripture, what I see is is that the the Son of God is absolutely perfect. He has no flaws. He has perfect intimacy with God. He felt that he needed to pray. And in fact, he prayed more than anybody. As you look throughout the Gospels, you see passages like this over and over and over again. Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. That's Mark 1, 35, Luke 6, 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer before God. Jesus prayed in the morning. Jesus prayed at night. He prayed when he had a tough decision to make. He prayed when he was in trouble. He prayed all the time. And if there's anybody that you would think wouldn't need to pray, it would be somebody who's God in the flesh. And yet he prays all the time. And I go, if Jesus thought it was this important for him to pray, it must be important to me. As Jesus models to me and to you what it means to live as a person dependent upon God, he says, what is critical to that is that you get down before God and you talk to him. And if he thought it was important, then it must be important for me as well. Imagine if you went to talk to your dentist. Your dentist says, uh, you know, you need to floss a little bit more. Now, I get that every time I go to the dentist. Um, and uh, he says that, and, and I, imagine you ask him, do you floss? And he goes, oh, no, I hate to floss. I never, I never do that. I, I mean, you know, once, once a year or so when I've got to go get my teeth cleaned. But other than that, you know. Now, if he said that, I'm probably not going to go home and get a bunch of floss, right? Because on one level, he says it's important, but he doesn't really do it. Now, on the other hand, and that's happened to me, actually. I have a dentist friend who uh, has told me that he doesn't really floss. But let's imagine, on the other hand, that... Uh, you talk to him and, and you happen to be friends with a dentist and uh, you're sitting down over dinner and uh, you finish your meal and you begin to talk and he says, oh, hold on just a second. I need to go floss, right? And he gets up from the table and he goes into the bathroom and he flosses and he comes back. Uh, you're going to go, wow, this guy really believes in this flossing thing, right? It's important to him. That's what we see with Jesus. Jesus doesn't just talk about prayer. He does it. And if anybody ought to know the importance of it, Jesus would. And so I was looking over, there's a book that Philip Yancey wrote called Prayer a couple of years ago. The the author, uh, Philip Yancey, he says this, Skeptics raise questions about prayer's usefulness. If God knows best, what's the point? In other words, if God knows what's going to happen, why bother? And he says, to such questions, I have no better answer than the example of Jesus, who knew above any of us the wisdom of the Father, and yet who felt a strong need to flood the heavens with requests. Jesus constantly prayed. Now, I can't answer all of the questions about how prayer works and the mystery of God's will and why God answers some and doesn't answer others, but I look at Jesus and I go, uh, Jesus thought it was important and still believes strongly in the power and sovereignty of God, and he did it. So we pray because it follows the example of our Savior. I think the second reason scripture calls us to pray is because spiritual work requires spiritual power. And what I mean by that is this, the things that we've been called to do by God, we've been called to make disciples, right? Jesus' last words to his disciples are go out into all the earth, make disciples, tell everybody about Jesus. 
Teach them all that I commanded. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus commands this. He commands us to follow him, to obey him. All of these things are spiritual efforts. And the scripture says that they require spiritual power. There's nothing that I can do that will last for eternity that I can do on my own apart from the work of God's spirit in my heart and in my life. And I can speak eloquently. I can have amazing talent to communicate. I can be the kindest, most gifted servant in the world. And yet if I am not doing those things in dependence upon the spirit, then they are not things ultimately that will last for eternity. And so uh, we are called in spiritual matters to seek the power of God. Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And I think often when we go, you know, we we may have friends that we want to encourage them to walk with God. Maybe they're struggling with uh, sexual immorality. They're struggling with an alcohol or drug issue. They're struggling with family issues. And we go to give them advice and counsel on a spiritual issue. But I'm guilty of it as well. We do so without praying and asking for God's empowerment through his spirit before we go. Or we share the gospel, and yet we do so relying upon our own words and our own strength instead of asking for God to move. The truth is that uh, the spiritual realm is real, and there is a spiritual battle going on. Now, God will ultimately win decisively but we face attack by a very real enemy, Satan, who is God's enemy. And yet we also have access to the greatest power in the universe through prayer. Uh, I went this past week and I saw Kung Fu Panda Part 2. I have not seen Part 1 yet, I have to admit. And uh, so I was a little confused, you know, where'd the panda come from, all that kind of stuff. But uh, I followed it okay. And uh, one of the things I observed was that... um, and I hope, I'm not going to give too much away. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, it is a cartoon. And so the plot is not that complicated. Uh, but uh, the panda is trying to save the world using Kung Fu. All right. Um, and there is a bad guy. And the bad guy has developed a uh, cannon that can shoot steel and spit fire. And, and this cannon is, uh, is a devastating weapon. And Kung Fu Panda has to figure out how to defeat the cannon. Now, he eventually does, and I, I don't want to go into how, but it's, it's awesome if you haven't seen the movie. Okay, but here's the thing. In real life, you can't beat a cannon uh, with kung fu, right? The weapons are mismatched, right? You go into a battle, uh, and you try to karate chop a cannon, you are going to be in big trouble, right? Uh, mismatched weapons. You don't walk into a battle against a line of cannons with kung fu, okay? Um, now, This is what this passage is essentially saying to us, okay? That if we want to do God's work, it's spiritual work. And we walk into battle, I think, with our intelligence. We walk into battle with our gifts. We walk into battle with all of these things that we bring to the table. And we say, I can do God's work. I can win this battle. And we get blown out of the water because we have an enemy who is fighting a spiritual battle against us. And so the scripture says, if you want to know God, if you want to have an impact for God's kingdom... And you do so through the power that God provides. And prayer is one of the major ways God has given us to access that power. If you know Jesus Christ this morning, the Spirit of God lives in you. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, 
The message to you would be this, that God has given his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins because we're separated eternally from God, apart from God's intervention, because we've disobeyed him. We've sinned against him. Jesus rose again from the dead. And to those who believe, they have eternal life. If you believe in that, not only do you have eternal life in the future, but you have life now. And the spirit of God lives in you and God hears your prayers and God empowers you for service. And he helps you do his will. But spiritual work requires spiritual power. So we're called to pray to access the power that only God can give to do those things that God has called us to do. Third reason the scripture calls us to prayer is simply that God does listen and answer. The passage we read at the beginning, James 5, 16 to 18, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So in other words, James says that when we pray, God really listens. Now, the reality is that, like we said, there are times that God doesn't seem to answer. And the truth is, we don't always know why. Sometimes it's because uh, we are in sin. As you look at Isaiah chapter one, uh, God says to his people, you lift up your hands to pray and I hide my eyes from you. And why do I do that? Because your hands are covered in blood. You haven't loved and cared for the poor in your midst. You haven't cared for the weak. Instead, you've exploited them and you've abused them. And so he says, you raise up your hands and I cover my eyes because you are in sin. And sometimes the reality is we do come before God and maybe he doesn't answer because we're in sin. Sometimes it is simply uh, that God has a will and a desire that we don't fully understand yet. And so he doesn't answer as we ask, but instead he has a plan that's even better. We don't know why God does not always answer affirmatively, but the truth is, that he does listen and he does answer. And uh, just like you, I've had many instances in my life where I've prayed for something, somebody to be healed, uh, somebody to come to know Jesus, and, and it hasn't happened. But then I've had these other instances in my life where I pray, and in ways that I can only explain as the working of God, he answers. Uh, several years ago, my wife and I were uh, on the verge of thinking about kind of having a third child. And uh, we had, I'll just share with you guys, we had had some struggles having our second child. It took us a couple of years uh, for her to get pregnant with our second child, and it was hard. And uh, as we were thinking about having this third one, we went to some doctors, and uh, we went to three different doctors, and they all told us, uh, you know, apart from medical intervention, this is just not going to happen. And uh, I don't know what made us do this exactly, but we went home and we just prayed, God, we just pray that you would, you would provide, that you would provide despite what these doctors are saying. Well, a couple weeks later, we find out she's expecting our third child, right? Now, how does that, how does something like that happen, all right? If, if you, one doctor could be wrong, two, you know, three, you know, I don't know. I don't know, all right? Now, does that happen every time I pray? No, okay? I wish it did, all right? I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that I'd be making happen, right? The reality is, for whatever reason, there are times that God answers. Let me tell you guys uh, one other just interesting story from my, my family history. Years ago, my dad, when he was in college, he was at a um, conference, a Campus Crusade conference, and they were kind of out in the foyer of this hotel. And a, a girl walked up to him, to my dad and his friend, and she said, do you know anybody around here who knows Turkish? Now, most of us, we don't, right? So just like them, they were like, no, I don't know anybody 
And she said, oh, okay. And, and they said, why? And she said, well, there's a guy over here, standing over here. He only speaks Turkish. And we're trying to share the gospel with him. And there's nobody around who can talk to him. And my dad said, I don't know what made me pray this. But he said, uh, for whatever reason, I said, why don't we pray that in 10 minutes, a Turkish translator will arrive at this desk over here. Now, there were two desks in this hotel lobby. He said, we'll arrive at this desk. They prayed and then they stopped praying. And 10 minutes later, on the nose, man walks up to the desk. And uh, my, uh, my dad was afraid to go talk to him, to go ask him. So his friend walked over and just, you know, casually said, hey, you don't happen to speak Turkish by any chance, you know? And the guy goes, yeah, actually, I do. Why? And he says, well, there, you know, there's a person over here and they connect him. What had happened was this man was a short order cook. It was about one in the morning, by the way, one or two in the morning. This man was a short order cook in Dallas had left his office, and he had never driven home that way before, but he needed a pack of cigarettes, right? Uh, They tell you smoking is bad. In this case, it provided something good, right? Uh, Needed a pack of cigarettes, stopped by this hotel to buy them, and uh, happened to walk in right at that moment. About a year later, my dad asked a kind of a Wycliffe regional director, Wycliffe is a big group of translators, asked him how many people at this time speak Turkish in the United States, and he said probably about 5,000 in the whole country, you know, out of you know, probably two to 300 million at that time. At one in the morning, right, what are the odds that one of them walks right into that hotel apart from the intervention of God, right? Now, it's an anecdote. And the reality is, like I say, I, I could give dozens of them like that. And if you don't believe God listens and answers, they won't convince you. But the truth is that at times, God listens and he answers. And I think he's always listening. It's just that he doesn't always answer exactly as we expect, And I don't know why. But James 5 tells us those who know God can pray and God provides. And so if you know Jesus Christ, the very power of heaven is available to you through prayer. And so when I think about that, when I I think about the fact that when when I kneel down to pray, it's not just a ritual. It's not just something that I do because I have to. It's not just a discipline, although it is that. And we'll talk about that more next week. But it is my opportunity to connect with God who holds all of the universe in his hands and has the power to effect change, to provide somebody to share the gospel. He has the power to heal. He has the power to forgive. He has the power to empower me to obey him. God listens and and God answers. And then the last reason that we pray is because prayer changes us. Prayer transforms us. It deepens our walk with God. Over time, I think as we pray, we learn to pray in keeping uh, with God's will instead of praying for what we want. Uh, One passage that speaks to that, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So what happens is I start to stress out about a grade. I start to stress out about uh, money. I start to stress out about a relationship. And instead of stressing out about it, I come before God and I pray. And what happens over time is that my response to anxiety becomes not fear or trying to control the situation, but instead dependence upon God. And prayer changes me. It also changes me because over time, I begin to pray more and more in keeping, hopefully, with the will of God. A couple of months ago, I had a student send me uh, a message through Facebook. And he said, I just have a question for you. Is it okay if I pray that God would give me a really pretty wife? 
And, uh, you know, and he was, he was not, he was not being facetious and, uh, he was being very serious. And I, and I thought about it for a while and I said, well, I don't see a prohibition against that necessarily in the scripture. But I said, let me ask you this. In, in the grand cosmic scheme of things, of God's plan to bring all, to bring men and women from every nation to himself, in the grand scheme of things for your life, that God wants to make you holy and more like him, do you think that his priority is the attractiveness of your wife? And as you begin to pray for these things and you ask God for these needs, is it possible that over time your desires may shift a little bit and you may say, God, if, if you want me to get married, I pray let me marry a person who will help me to glorify you. A person that I can love to the extent that the world will look on and say, that's the love of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And maybe my desires will transform. And so... Guys, it may not be I want the prettiest wife, girls. It may not be I want the tallest husband. It might be I, I, want, I want somebody, if God provides, to help me glorify him. And your, your desires change and your heart changes. And you begin to think less about selfish desires and more about how can I be an Im, of impact in God's kingdom. Prayer changes us, transforms us. Now, the reality is that even with all of these reasons that we've given, uh, I still struggle to pray. And you probably do as well. And this is what we're going to talk about more next week. One of the reasons, I think, is because prayer is a discipline. It is something that often we just have to show up and do. Uh, Some of you perhaps are runners, and you know that there are mornings you wake up and you don't feel like running. But if you only ran when you felt like it, you would really probably never do it. Maybe, Maybe sometimes. But the reality is if you only did it when you felt like it over time, you just stop. Many disciplines in your life are the same way. And the the joy and the effectiveness that you experience over time in those disciplines, you experience them because you just show up. And so what I want to challenge you to do this week is uh, wherever your prayer life is, my guess is that for many of you, maybe you, you pray a little bit, but you're not consistent in your walk with God and in your prayer life. And, and if you're not in a place where you're praying consistently at all, here's my challenge to you. Five minutes a day, five days this week. Five minutes. And just begin that discipline of setting aside that time. Let's say you are praying relatively consistently. I would encourage you, first of all, that's awesome if you are. But secondly, ask the Lord to show you what would be the next level of depth in, in your walk with him. Maybe it is that you need to spend a little more time. Maybe it is you need to begin to shift some of your priorities in prayer. But for most of us in this room, my guess is it's just a matter of uh, developing the consistent discipline. Five minutes, 10 minutes a day to start. Saying, I'm going to commit this week. I'm just going to try it. To devote that time to spending time with God. So that he can transform me. So that he can use me. So that I can do his work through the power that he provides. And see how he begins to transform and change you over the course of the week. And we're going to come back next week and we'll talk a little bit more about uh, what we pray for and uh, how we pray. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word because it teaches us to know who you are and what you want from us. And we thank you for the spirit of God who lives within us, who helps us to know how we ought to pray and what we ought to do. Father, we confess that we are often lazy, we are distracted like your disciples, 
Uh, We fall asleep at prayer. Uh, We do not persevere well. And we struggle to see the value at times. And so we pray that you would convict our hearts through your spirit that it is one of the most valuable ways we can spend our time, if not the most valuable way. I pray that each person in here really would commit this week to just spend some time in prayer with you, even if it starts at five minutes or less, to develop that discipline of being with you. Father, transform us through your word and through the power of your spirit. And I pray when we arrive next Sunday, we would be more like Jesus Christ than we are right now. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.